If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. We're slowly working our way through the book of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 5 now. This is in the midst of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and we're going to see here in Luke 5, uh, the next three sections, one we have kind of a nature miracle that we're going to look at this morning, but really the emphasis on the calling of, of Simon Peter. And then there's two healings, the healing of a leper, followed by the healing of a paralytic. Uh, then there's going to be some more calling of disciples. And so a lot of this section up through the middle of chapter 6 is focused on the calling of the disciples as Jesus is gathering those 12 apostles who are going to follow him. We're still early on in the ministry of Jesus. So that's kind of what we have to look forward to here. My daughter celebrated her seventh birthday on Friday. So seven years ago is when baby Elaine was born. Many of you remember that. You were around for that. Um, and it was four days later, on May 14th, 2006, that Andrea then celebrated her first Mother's Day. So she'd been a mother for four days, and I still remember her saying it didn't feel like she was a mother. Um, but if you've ever had a child, you the, the first child, you recognize that there's this massive change <laughs> that happens before you were not a mother. And then all of a sudden, you are a mother. Mother's Day used to mean absolutely nothing to you, and now it is your day. It's, it's meant for you. There's a, a huge change that happens in you. We're going to see someone else who's completely changed. He didn't become a mother, obviously. Uh, but Jesus comes to him, and he goes from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. That's a real familiar passage, and maybe you even sang the song. I sang that song. In Sunday school, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And that's this passage here. And we're going to see the focus of this passage is on Jesus coming to Simon Peter and totally changing his life. I think the, the message for us is that Jesus changes us. Specifically, Jesus changes us from sinners to servants. Jesus changes us from sinners to servants. Maybe you're here this morning and you just, you've never been changed by Jesus. I hope that you see how radically Simon was changed and that you will see that Jesus can change you. Or maybe you have been changed. You've forgotten how radical that change was though. That you'll see in the, in the picture of who uh, Peter is, who he was and who he became, just the amazing transformation that took place in his life and that can continue to take place in ours. But let's go ahead and read this exciting passage. Luke chapter 5, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. He writes, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Again, that main point, Jesus changes us from sinners to servants. I think it's hopefully going to come out pretty clearly in this passage. But before we get to this radical change that happens in Simon's life, the the first section here, verses 1 through 3, is just kind of the setting of the scene. Uh, Luke is setting this scene up for this radical change that's going to happen in Simon's life. So in verses 1 through 3, we just set the scene. The first thing that I notice is the expectant and excited crowd. The expectant and excited crowd. It says just on one occasion, so Luke's writing, this is just on one occasion, just happened at some point in the ministry of Jesus. It says, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. You think about Jesus, this is early on in his ministry, and as his fame begins to spread, he's doing these miracles, casting out demons we saw last week, healing the sick. The word about him begins to spread. And not only do the crowds get get bigger um, in number, but they also grow in their expectancy and their excitement. Whenever they show up to see Jesus, they expect something amazing to come out of his mouth or him to do something astonishing because... That's what he does every time. Every time they show up, he says something that they'd never thought about before. He does something that they thought never could be done. And there's this beautiful scene here, isn't it? They're here on the lake of Gennesaret, which is actually just, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's another name for it. This is actually the only place that it's ever called, the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, Luke always calls it a lake. The other writers talk about the Sea of Galilee. And Gennesaret was just one of the regions, so it's kind of another name for this lake, but they're there on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is there, he's standing on the beach, or maybe sitting on the beach, and speaking to the crowds, and as he's speaking, the crowd gets bigger, and they start to, to press in on him, uh, they, they start to get, get closer, the crowd begins to grow, and people show up from the back and start pushing in a little bit here and there, but they're there, and it says, it says that they were, they were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Interesting, they use that uses that phrase "word of God." These words are are from God, and that's why they're pressing in to to hear it. See this expectancy, this this excitement that that's there, and I can't help but but look at that and say, "Is that how I approach God's word? Is that how I approach the teaching of of Christ? Do we come with expectancy and excitement when we are ready to to hear God's word preached in this moment?" Or even when you pick up your Bible in the morning and say, I'm going to read, is there is there an expectancy to hear from God, to hear the Word of God? Think about that phrase, the Word of God, that God is speaking to us. I think that if I was on the beach there, I'd be excited. I'd be expecting, I'd be, I'd be ready to hear something. But so often when we sit maybe in this room or, when we sit in our favorite chair to read our Bible, we don't come with that same sense of expectancy. And just as I was reading this, I was struck with the crowd pressing in to see, to hear the Word of God. And just reminded, I know we talked about that not too long ago on a Sunday evening, you remember how to listen well to a sermon. The first thing was to come expectantly. Come expecting God to speak. 
I don't expect you to come here and expect me to speak, expect me to say something great, but I do expect God's word to be powerful, that as we read it, there is something exciting and something amazing and astonishing and something life-changing that should happen in us. We said last week, sometimes we grow accustomed to how powerful Jesus is. I think this week we could say sometimes we grow uh, we go accustomed to how powerful God's word is, that it can change us. So we notice the expectant and excited crowd, I think, first off. We saw that the people are, are pressing in, so those that are at the back are trying to get closer, such that those in the front are being pushed closer and closer because they don't want to give up their front row seat. Uh, maybe you've been in a concert like that where all of a sudden everyone just sort of rushes the stage and you're amazed at how many people can be right there in front of that spot. I still remember the first time we went to Thunder. We were behind the bridge. If you've ever gone to Thunder over Louisville with the fireworks, we, if you're behind the bridge, you can't see anything. So everyone starts pushing in. I was amazed at how, how many people. just We just kept going further and further. I didn't think there was any more space. And then we were there with, you know, 500,000 of our closest friends to see it. But that's kind of what's what's going on here. And, and so Jesus, in a sense, he's continuing to to back up. And maybe he backs up to the point that suddenly he feels the water lapping on his ankles. And he says, oh, there's nowhere else to go. The people are, are pushing in. And so I see the expectant and excited crowd. The next thing I see is the convenient presence of a boat. Sovereignly placed there, the convenient presence of a, a boat. And Jesus quickly climbs into one of these two boats and asks the owner, who happens to be Simon, who will later be Simon Peter. He asked him just to push off a little bit from uh, the shore to go out. Uh, Simon had been there, it says. He was washing his nets. It says, verse 2, let's read this. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Simon had been washing his nets after a night of fishing. He fished all through the night. So this is probably earlier in the morning. He's there. They're mending their nets. They're washing their nets. And so he's been out all night. So when you think about it, it's very kind of, of Simon to say, yeah, I'll do this. He's there probably getting ready for the next night's catch. He wants to get the, the nets ready, go home, probably take a nap, get some rest, get some food. But here he is, and Jesus asks him to help, and he and he does. But, you know, I mean, you think about Simon. He had obviously been there while Jesus is teaching, and he's listening as he's washing the nets. Not only that, but we saw him early on, right? I mean, Simon was there when his mother-in-law was healed. Simon was there. He saw these demons cast out in the synagogue. So he knows there's something special about this. So Jesus asks him to do something, to participate. And I would jump at the chance. Let's, yeah, sure, let's do whatever. You can jump in my boat. And so they get in the boat. It says there when they had, um, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus sits down. You remember when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, that's that's what he did. He sat down. This is the, the position of teaching that he's teaching here, and he continues to teach the crowd. I just kind of get a picture of the, you know, maybe it's in some sort of a bay, and he's out in the boat. Um, some people say that it maybe have formed some sort of natural amphitheater, his voice bouncing off the water or whatever it was. But Jesus is a great open-air preacher when you think about it. You can think about open-air preachers of the past, and his voice just carries out. And there's some maybe you imagine sitting on the on the shore or some even, you know, putting their feet into the water as the waves uh, come up, just enjoying that, that scene, listening to Jesus hanging on his every word and his voice pierces through the sound of the lapping waves and as it pierces through those other noises it starts to pierce people's hearts just this beautiful scene there on the lake isn't it 
But in fact, this is just the setting of the scene. We don't know what, even what Jesus taught here. We don't even see the reaction of the crowd. This is just getting us ready for what's going to come in verses 4 through 11. So if that's the setting of the scene, then verses 4 through 11 is, is the transformational call of Peter. The transformational call of, of Peter. The teaching comes to an end. Verse 4 says, and when he had finished speaking, he's just, he's done. Whatever he had been teaching that day, he was done speaking. There may have been some sort of an awkward pause as he wrapped things up. And so Jesus says to Simon, he says, let's push off a little bit. Let's go off into some deeper water. As we think about this transformational call, uh, we first see Jesus' offer. Jesus' offer to Simon. He says, verse 4, after he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It seems like a real simple request, doesn't it? Hey, let's go out and, and fish for a little bit. And it even looks like, hey, maybe this is a way that Jesus is going to pay Peter back for the time and energy that he's put into helping him out. So he's going to bless him. But in some ways, we know that because we know what's going to happen. We know that they're actually going to catch fish. But Peter doesn't know that. And in fact, he doesn't think that they're going to catch a thing. Because not only do you see Jesus' offer, but you see Peter's objection. <laughs> Peter's objection. Uh, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. So Peter is coming off a pretty disappointing night of fishing. Uh, fishing is not something that he does just for fun. This is not some sort of a pastime. I know that uh, Russell and Roy, they are deep sea fishermen. And they go down to Florida and do that sometimes, and, and they catch some big fish. Now, it would be terribly disappointing to pay for a charter to go out and to not catch anything. That would be terrible. But you'd still eat in the evening probably, right? You'd still have something to eat. For Peter to have a night with no fish, this is his livelihood. This is this is what he lives on. So this is fairly disappointing. Not only that, his nets were, were whole when he showed up, but now they're all torn up. So for Peter, this is, this is difficult. It's, it'd be like you going to work. You work an eight-hour shift, and you get no paycheck. You get absolutely nothing for the eight hours that you put in. And so Peter objects. I think this objection communicates a, a few things, some things that maybe we say when Jesus offers or commands us to do something. I think the first thing that, that Peter's saying is, Jesus, I, I know better. <laughs> I know better than you do. Jesus has authority, maybe, in Peter's mind to speak on the things of God, of course. And if if Peter was taking up a carpentry project, well, then maybe Jesus can speak to that because he understands that. But Peter might step back and say, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here, okay? I mean, I've grown up doing this. I know how this works. But this is not going to work. It'd be like me coming to your job and telling you how to do it. <laughs> I've never been there, whatever your job might be, think about that. And I come in the first day and I look at your desk and I look at the things you're doing and I say, well, let me tell you how to do this. It'd be a lot better if you did such and such. You'd say, well, get out of here. You don't do this job. You don't know what you're talking about. I think that's in some part Simon's objection. I, hey, I fished all night. Not only does he know better, but he says, I've already tried that. You know, I've already tried that, Jesus. I I've fished in that spot. I know this lake. I've fished all over the place. I've fished there. You don't catch fish there. And not only that, but this is not the best time. That might be another thing that he's saying. This is not the best time. When's the best time to fish? At night. 
in, in the middle of the night, that's when you catch fish. This is, you know, maybe it's noon. This is a terrible time to catch fish. They're not, they're not going to come right now. Fishing at night is far superior. This is another way of saying I, I know better, but it just kind of communicates that Peter's saying, I don't have time to do this. You know, this is a waste of my time. I think sometimes we respond to Jesus that way, don't we? He makes an offer to us and we say, well, I know better than that. I, I, I have a better idea than what you do, Jesus. I have a better way to, to deal with this persistent sin in my life. I have a better way to go about outreach. Maybe as a church we would say that we've got some better ideas about how to get people into this church and help them to see their need for Jesus. Or we say, I've already tried that. And we keep trying the same thing over and over again and it doesn't work and we read in God's Word and we, it comes out again. Well, maybe I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray. And we say, well, I've already tried that. It just it doesn't work. It doesn't change me. And we say, this is not the best time. Jesus calls us to do something and we say, well, maybe some other time, but right now it's not working out in my life. So in Peter's objection, in the midst of this, we see Jesus' offer, we see his objection, but we also see Peter's obedience. Peter obeys, doesn't he? Verse 5, look at it again. We stopped in the middle of his sentence. Simon answered, Master, we told all night long and took nothing, but, but at your word I will let down the nets. I think that may have been somewhat reluctant. I'm not sure that Peter really wanted to do it, but he says that he'll do it. Why? What's the reasoning that he gives? At your word, isn't it? Because because you told me to do it, Jesus, I'll do it. If anyone else told me to do it, I wouldn't even give it a second chance. But at your word, I will do it. It's the word of Jesus that causes Simon to set all of his objections Aside. This is that same word you remember at the beginning of the text. The people are pressing in to hear what? The word of God. And Peter says, this is your word. You, you are speaking with authority. I don't know everything about you. Master. He calls him master. So there's, there's some sort of respect there. But he doesn't understand everything about Jesus yet. But he, he understands that this guy has some kind of special authority. He doesn't think he has authority in this realm necessarily. But he says, okay, at your word. We'll give it a try. We'll see what happens. And so he obeys. It's obedience. It's okay to obey that way sometimes, I think. Sometimes maybe you have seeds of doubt or you think maybe this isn't the best idea. You say things like, I know better, or it's not the right time, or I've tried this before, but I'll try one more time and see what happens, you know. I think that's still that's still obedience, and God will still bless that. Even if we have doubts in our minds as to what Christ is calling us to do, if we if we take that step and, and obey, I think that he blesses that. And I think we see that even here. We saw Jesus' offer, Peter's objection, then Peter's obedience, and then just for the sake of having another O, uh, let's say Jesus' omnipotence. Jesus' all-powerfulness is what that means. His omnipotence, he's all-powerful. What happens here? <laughs> Put this picture in your mind, okay? Don't just, you've heard this before, but try to think about it. He says, Master, we told all night long, we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Now, how, how many fish? A large number. It says, and their nets were breaking. That's how big it was. How big was it? It was so big that they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. 
How big was this catch of fish? They came and filled both the boats. Now, how big was this catch of fish? It says, so that both boats began to sink. Now, people tell fish stories. You know, it was this big. It was, it was this big. <laughs> the, the fish stories are notorious for the lying of how big that fish was. This is not a fish story. This is truth. And the details are there. There's so many fish. The nets are breaking. They, they, they try to get it in one boat. There's not enough room. They call, you know, John and James. Come on, guys. Come out here. We need some help. They come out. They fill both the boats. They fill both the boats so that they are starting to sink down in the water. Now, I don't think Jesus ever in his ministry said, I told you so. But if he wanted to, this would be the perfect moment <laughs> to say, I told you that if you let your nets down, that this would happen. I, I rather, though, imagine Jesus. You know, I think sometimes we think of Jesus standing aloof and watching them. But I, And I could be dead wrong. Don't take this as, as gospel truth. But I, I see Jesus smiling and getting right in there and, and helping them pull these fish on board. He, Jesus isn't going to stand back and let them toil and work by themselves. You know, Jesus gets in there, and I, I just imagine him pulling them up and smiling at Peter. As Peter just, just does not know what to think of what has just happened. What would you think? What would you do if you were Simon Peter? How would you respond? Maybe you'd ask Jesus if he wants to be partners in your fishing business. You know, Hey, we could really make some money on this. Maybe you'd just be so amazed you didn't know what to do. But what does Peter do? Look at it there. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, where is this happening? This is happening in the boat that's so full of fish that it's starting to sink. And Peter, in that moment, falls on his knees. His knees probably don't even hit the bottom of the boat. They're probably on fish (laughs) right before Jesus. And he says, Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. It's an interesting response, isn't it? I think Peter's response tells us this. The majesty of Jesus exposes our sinfulness the majesty of jesus exposes our sinfulness jesus had seen some of jesus's majesty i mean he had seen the demons cast out he'd seen his mother-in-law raised from the dead but here he's he's right next to jesus he's face to face side by side with jesus and he sees this happen and not only that but he sees it happen in a realm that he understands what is peter he's a fisherman he knows about fishing He doesn't know about healing or casting out demons. He knows about fishing, though. And so when this happens, he says, I I don't even know what to do with this. You can think about something that you know well. I've been running for about two years, so I think I might call myself a runner. And I I ran this mini marathon, and, uh, you know, I did the best that I could do. And then I started looking at the times that people put up, you know, and they're running less than five minutes a mile for 13 miles straight. Not if, if you had asked me what that means three years ago, I'd say, that's impressive, you know. But now, I can't even one run, one, run one mile under five minutes. It, it's, it's impressive because I understand it. You know, take so, someone like Mark who plays the guitar. He understands how to play guitar. We can watch a guitar play. If you've never picked up a guitar and you say, wow, that guy's really good. But Mark can say, I know how good that guy is because I could never do that with my fingers. It's amazing. He's so good. And, and Jesus comes and he meets Peter at something that he that he understands. 
He knows about fishing, and he knows that this is something amazing, that this has never happened in all his years of fishing. It never happened in all his father's years of fishing. This is supernatural. This is something amazing. He sees the majesty of God in a personal way. And what does he do? Falls on his knees. He says, I am a sinful man. This is the pattern, isn't it? Did you see it in Isaiah in our reading? What happened when when the Lord came to Isaiah and revealed his majesty, revealed his holiness? What does Isaiah do? Falls on his knees and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Abraham does the same thing. When the Lord shows up to him, he falls on his knees. He recognizes his sinfulness. You think about Job. The end of Job where God comes in the whirlwind. He reveals who he is. What does Job do? He says, I... I, I have nothing left to say. I, I'm going to close my mouth. Lord, I don't have anything to say to you. Think about John in the book of Revelation when he sees the glory of God. Falls on his face. The majesty of Jesus exposes our sinfulness. Peter's seeing who Jesus is. He moves from calling him master to what does he call him here? Lord. I don't think he fully knows who Jesus is. He's getting a glimpse getting a glimpse that will lead to him calling him not just Lord, but when, when Jesus says, who do you think that I am? He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one. You are God. Jesus' majesty, he shows his power and his authority, and it exposes the sinfulness of Peter. He sees who Jesus is. He sees himself. He recognizes how far below the mark he falls, how sinful he is. You asked the question in our Hebrew study that we're going through with the youth a few weeks ago. We said, should we fear God? Should we fear God? I think that part of the answer in this passage is yes, that Peter fears God. He fears Jesus. He he. His sin has been exposed, and he recognizes that, that judgment is upon him because of his sin. He has beheld his majesty. But I think the second answer comes from Jesus' lips. We read here, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. But look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to Simon... Do not be afraid. He was afraid. He should have been afraid. Jesus wasn't saying, don't be afraid, Peter, because that's the wrong response. He says, you should be afraid. You, When you recognize who God is, we should, we should be afraid. If we understand the majesty of God in light of our sinfulness, we should say, God, depart from me because... I am so sinful that the only way that you can be in my presence is in judgment, is in, is in wrath, because I am a sinner, because I have fallen so far short of the mark of your holiness. And so I am afraid. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Yeah, you should have been. That's right. That's the correct response. But now, Simon, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? I think it's the theme that we've been seeing here in the early parts of Luke. Why did Jesus come? Came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring forgiveness of sins. He came 
to show his power over spiritual darkness. He came to show his power over disease. He came to bring life, not death. He came to bring forgiveness, not judgment. Yes, he will come in judgment. And that's part of the reason why the answer to should we fear God is yes, because he is coming in judgment. But the other answer is no, because he has come to bring forgiveness. If your response to the majesty of, of Jesus is to, to be afraid, that's the right first response. But the next thing is to see the kindness of Jesus, that the kindness of Jesus forgives our sin. The kindness of Jesus comes and forgives our sin, that he doesn't come simply in judgment, but he comes in forgiveness. He knows that Simon is a sinner, but he's come to take that sin upon himself. The message that Jesus has come to proclaim is good news. Good news to those who are captive. He's come to set us free. He's come to take the penalty for our sin upon himself, to die in our place. He's come to not be sinful like Peter was, but to be perfect, to triumph over all, and to give us new life. The majesty of Jesus exposes our sinfulness. The kindness of Jesus forgives our sin. The call of Jesus changes us completely. That's the last thing we see. The call of Jesus changes us completely. He doesn't just say, don't be afraid. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The focus is on Simon, but there in in verse 11, it starts to talk about they and we know from other accounts that Andrew was there, Simon's brother. Not only that, but James and John are mentioned. And so these are some of the early disciples, and this is their first real encounter with Christ. And They leave everything and follow him. But this is the pattern, isn't it? It's the pattern we see in Isaiah. The majesty of God is seen. He says there is forgiveness that comes. The coal is brought and touched to Isaiah's lips, and forgiveness is there. And then he, he he's commissioned to go to serve, go and to teach, and that's what happens here. Don't be afraid. You are you are forgiven because of what because of grace. And from now on, you will be catching men. Uh, Peter is totally changed. Who was he? If you came up to Peter and you said, "Who are you?" Say, "Well, I'm Simon. I'm a fisherman. That's who I am." And Jesus said, "I'm gonna." change you completely. We know later on, I keep calling him Peter, because that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to completely change his name. Changes his name, but he also changes his whole vocation. He says, you're not going to be a fisherman anymore. Rather, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to catch men for the kingdom. Jesus is going to later on use this, this, he says, the kingdom of God is like a net that's cast out and pulls fish in. And then at the end of the age, they will be sorted out those that go to judgment and those that are saved. But they come, and I love the picture, they come from, there's all different kinds of fish that come. That's what the kingdom does. It brings them in. And Peter is called to be a part of that, this casting out of nets and bringing them in. And and he's a part of something big. This is not, I, I love that what Jesus does is, sovereignly, Simon has a terrible night of fishing. I mean, the worst ever. He says they caught Nothing. And I think that means that they caught 
nothing. <laughs> I think it means, you know, you ever see the things where they, they pull on the old, old boot on the fishing reel? You know, I think that's what kind of a fishing net it was. They caught nothing, and I think Jesus intended for that to happen so that he would see the futility of that. And then all of a sudden, he has so many fish that his nets are breaking. And, and what Jesus is communicating is, Simon, I'm calling you to something bigger than you could ever imagine. It's, it's not that Peter goes out and he catches five fish, and so, well, that's better than zero, so something amazing happened. No, this is, this is amazing. This is life transforming. And isn't this the picture of what's going to happen? We even saw it at the beginning. The crowds are pressing in on Jesus and, and Peter becomes a part of this where all the crowds are flocking to Jesus. And what do we see in the book of Acts? How many people joined the church on the first day? 3,000. I mean, this is, this is what it is. It's, it's you cast your net, Peter, and you're going to pull in tons of fish. This is what I've come to do. What a focus, too. Does Peter, leave these things that, that aren't going to last, that don't matter, and, and make your life about catching people. Now, Peter leaves his day job. We're not all called to do that, are we? But we all we are all called to be fishers of men, to catch men. But even if we if we stay fishermen, <laughs> or whatever your vocation is, our our primary call still is to cast the net, to catch men. And because Jesus has called us to something, it's beyond what we could ever imagine. It's amazing. And they, they obey. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. What's that include? All those fish. <laughs> what happened to all those fish? I don't really know. There's some sort of tale that says that Peter, uh, that, that they sold it to help um, pay for his, his wife and family. I, who even knows what that, if that's possible. I just imagine people coming down and saying, what's all these fish? And taking some home. But but they didn't care about that stuff anymore. Their life was, was that's not who we are anymore. I don't care about the fish. We're following Jesus. We're laying down everything for him. This is what Jesus does. The call of God changes us completely. It changes our focus in life about what really matters. Peter was all about fishing. Now he's about fishing. Men. It, it, it changes what's important to us. It leaves everything behind to follow after Jesus. Because if this is who Jesus is, if he, if he really is who he says he is, if he's really this powerful, this majestic, this holy, if that's really who he is, and I'm really who I am, I'm really that sinful, I'm really that lost, I'm really under God's judgment. And if he has done what, what he says he has done, that he has saved me so that I don't have to fear anymore, that he's taken the penalty on the cross, that he's, that he's lived the, the life that I could not live, and by faith I've, I've become his child. If, if that's really happened, if he's who he is, and, and I'm who I am in my sinfulness, and, and he's done that, he's saved me, then he sends out an offer. Jesus' offer. Come, be fishers of men. And I can come up with all the objections I want. Well, this isn't the right time. I know better. Um, you know, this is not going to work. But ultimately, if we obey, as Peter did, if we obey, we see the power of God and he changes us completely. We leave everything to fish for men. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful call 
on Peter's life. And this is the call on our lives. We talk about getting excited about God's word. Do you recognize that, that this is you? I know you weren't in a boat. Or you didn't pull in enough fish for it to sink, but this was you. And if we have come in contact, if, if you are a Christian, you have seen the glory of God. You have seen how great he is. You have repented of your sin. That's the first step is to turn from sin. You've seen your sinfulness. And, and God in Christ has said, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And now he's given us a mission. He's commissioned us. He's called us to do something. And your life is not about whatever it was about before. So maybe you've got caught up. You've gone back. I think about Peter later on. I think about that wonderful story in, in John. Same thing happens, doesn't it? Peter goes back to fishing. And what does Jesus do? He comes. He gives them another miraculous catch. And Peter's reminded, this is what it's about. It's not about fishing. I already left all this behind. I'm going to leave it again. Follow after Jesus. And so maybe you're in that place. Remember, this is who we are called to be. And now to think about us as a church, whatever objections we might make to what Jesus has called us to do, we've tried that before, it's not going to work, it's not the right time, doesn't work. Jesus' majesty shows us that he can do whatever he wants. And he's called us to be fishermen, and this is what we are called to do and to be. Let's take our moment of silence, kind of been all over the place here at the end, and I just want to pray that God's Spirit would apply these things well to our hearts. Let's take a moment of silence, and then um, I'll pray and we'll sing our song of response.